Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, we're looking at verses 4 through 15 this afternoon. And while you're turning there and maybe getting yourself comfortable, don't get yourself too comfortable. I want to talk about falling asleep in church. In the afternoon service, we're especially prone to that, aren't we? This is um, a danger that is greatly, I think, exaggerated, especially when we preach from Acts 20 and talk about Eutychus falling from the third story and dying because he fell asleep. So we warn our congregation not to do the same thing. But I do think that falling asleep in church is quite common. I don't think I've ever been in a church where I haven't seen it happen. Um, And it really rarely leads to any serious injury that I've seen. Um, And so I appreciated what Kent Hughes said about that in his commentary on this passage. He said, falling asleep in church really does not concern me. He had already explained how it had it can happen for any number of reasons. Maybe you had a very long day. Maybe you've had a very long week. Maybe you haven't gotten any sleep. You know, a number of things can keep someone um, up and, and make it difficult as soon as they sit into very comfy and cozy chairs to stay awake. So he says, falling asleep in church doesn't really concern me. It can happen to, for any number of reasons, both good and bad. What does concern me, though, are the thousands who warm a pew every Lord's Day with their bodies awake, but their souls asleep. Some churchgoers pay more attention to television commercials than to the Word of God. And so it's a bit of a, a, a warning there, from, and I think it's appropriate to the text that we have here. This is the parable of the sower. Maybe you've heard this explained a number of times, but it really does come in the form of a warning to the original audience. Luke opens this chapter with a description of the woman who had joined Jesus in his traveling um, and his traveling companion as they went from town to town proclaiming the gospel and Jesus healing the sick. And Jesus is still in this, these early stages of his ministry. Right? We've, we've already seen his tireless commitment to his mission, going from town to town, some places rejecting him, some receiving him joyfully. Uh, but, but in most cases, it was a mixed audience, very mixed crowd that gathered around him, very different motives for why people wanted to see and hear Jesus. And so in our passage this afternoon, we get a glimpse into an important style of teaching that Jesus is well known for. Right? Jesus often spoke in parables. And in this particular parable, there is, I think, a universal application so that no matter where you are, no matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how long you've heard, how many times you've heard the gospel proclaimed in your life, this has application for you this afternoon. It doesn't just apply to the very first time you heard God's word, whether you heard it effectively or not. It it, it happens to apply then and to every subsequent occurrence in your life. Every time we gather as a church, every time we gather for family worship in our homes, every time you open God's word as an individual believer, the truth of this parable applies. There are various ways of hearing God's word. And so we need to be attentive to our hearts 
every time we open it. So let us ask for the Lord for his help in understanding it before we read it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this parable. Many of us have heard this parable many times, and we've heard it explained even, and the explanation, in fact, is included in this passage. And yet we continue to learn from it. We continue to have an opportunity now to sit under it once again with fresh eyes to understand and to hear and to respond with hearts that have been prepared properly in a way that only you can prepare them. And so, Lord, as we read your word, may you do a work in each one of us to bring edification into our lives and to glorify yourself. It's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen. So read with me uh, Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew, and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Amen. This is God's holy word. Well, parables were not unique to Jesus. And we oftentimes think that Jesus was the only one who spoke in parables or used these stories. And maybe we have an idea that that Jesus spoke in parables in order to really make it plain, in order to really provide a simple explanation of some great spiritual truth. But the prophets spoke in parables at times, and they did speak oftentimes in order to illustrate a great spiritual reality. Sometimes, however, their, their illustration clarified the truth, and at other times it obscured the truth. It's not always clear what their purpose was. It was varied, depending on who they were speaking to, and it's the case here as well. Maybe you recall one of the more memorable parables in the Old Testament was spoken by Nathan. 
right, when he confronted and rebuked David for sleeping with Bathsheba and then having Uriah killed in battle. The truth that Nathan in that parable was vividly illustrating was David's sin. And yet it was hidden from David. He, he did not understand and he was getting riled up and, and ready to, to judge the one who was guilty for the sin that was being described. And then, of course, of course Nathan closes with a strong rebuke saying, you're the man who did this. Certainly, Jesus was known for speaking in parables, and he himself had various purposes in, describe, or in delivering these parables. For some, it would have provided a, a, a wonderful illustration of a, a practical benefit in, in, in our practice of faith, for instance, like, like this parable. But for many who heard it, they would have remained just as confused as they were when they first started listening. It didn't provide any more clarity for them. And in fact, what we find from this passage is that's one of the purposes that for Jesus speaking in parables. It was to keep things hidden from some. So we see in verse 4 here, when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he begins speaking in a parable. Uh, this same parable is found in Matthew chapter 13 as well as Mark chapter 4. And the other accounts reveal that the crowd had grown so large that Jesus decides to actually step back into a boat and push the boat out from the shore so that he could speak and project his voice more clearly for all to hear. It's possible that this was one of the largest crowds that had ever gathered to hear Jesus. So the landscape and his position over the water would have allowed everyone to hear him more clearly. And we might be impressed by seeing the crowd that had gathered. We might think this is impressive. The work of, of Christ is, is going out. People are coming. They're flocking to hear him. And yet, what is on Jesus' mind? He's not impressed. In fact, he takes the time now to, to question the hearts of those who had come. Had they come out for the right reasons? Or were they there for some entertainment? Were they there to just see a miracle? Were they there because they wanted to grow and mature in their love for God? You can imagine hearing this parable for the first time, maybe thinking about how inefficient this sower was, right? He's scattering seed where three out of four of the places, it's ineffective. You'd think that there would have been a, a better system in place. Maybe that's where our mind goes, but the, initial, or the, the original audience would have heard this as simply a description of what they saw happening all the time when a farmer went out to sow seeds. In fact, because Jesus oftentimes taught with some display or illustration happening in the background, it's possible that there was a farmer sowing his seed right then and there, that everyone could have seen this taking place. And so he uses it, takes this occasion to speak to it with a hidden purpose. And so he speaks of four things, four places where the seed falls. It falls on the path in verse 5, where it's trampled underfoot and then devoured by birds. 
so it never even takes root on the path. Um, it falls into rocky areas, rocky ground, where it's withered without moisture, where the, the soil is, is very shallow. And so as soon as the seed is implanted, it, it, it simply has nowhere to grow deep. It, it sprouts up real quick, but withers away immediately. And then you have seeds that fall among thorns. They have a little more time. They're growing and they're maturing. But eventually, the, the weeds and the thorns choke it out. And then there's some that falls upon, upon good soil. And it grows and yields a hundredfold. Now, this would have been well above what was typical, which would have been closer to seven to tenfold. That's what a farmer would have hoped for, right? A good crop would have been seven to tenfold. And in this case, he says a hundredfold. He's, he's speaking of the abundance of blessings when seed lands on good soil. And of course, this has a deeper meaning, a deeper purpose. But that's where he leaves it at this point. He hasn't explained anything. In fact, he says, if you have ears to hear, let him hear. So what's the point of this? Right, who, who was interested, as you keep reading, who's the ones who are interested in learning and understanding and growing? Who are the ones that have come to listen to Jesus speak and to actually learn something? All right, it's the disciples. The disciples asked him what this parable meant. Maybe that's broader than just the 12. Maybe it's speaking of those who are true disciples among them in the crowd that have come up to him and said, what do you, what do you mean by this? We, we want to understand why you're sharing this with us. By stating that only those who had ears to hear would hear, Jesus is acknowledging that some in the crowd were unable to hear the truth. His true disciples also, it would, have, it would cause them to, to pay attention. Right? If you, you hear Jesus say something like that, you say, oh, I better listen up. Better pay attention to what he's saying, to what he just shared. And so the lesson, I think, even from these first few verses is that we should seek to understand the Lord's teaching. That might seem simple. And yet, how often do we open God's word and, and we're content to just check the box off, right? We read it. We did our job. We don't take any time to meditate upon it. Don't take any time to pray about it. Don't take any time to reflect upon it or to store it in our hearts. We simply have done our duty. Right? We've read the word. And if you've, done any, if you've been a Christian for any length of time and you've had a routine of reading God's word, you've all experienced times like that where you've opened his word, you've read it, and it was really unprofitable to the sense that you, you didn't really pay attention while you were reading, your heart wasn't engaged, your mind wasn't engaged, you didn't ask questions of the text, you didn't apply it to your own heart, you didn't pray. And so I think the first thing we should ask is, is are we thinking about the state of our hearts every time we open God's word, every time we sit under its preaching, every time we read it in a public manner or in our homes? Do we have an interest in the truth of God's word? Because that is a sign of maturity. There were many in the crowd who simply said, yeah, that's interesting, Jesus, and never thought about it again. 
Right? That's, a, that's a true description of a farmer today, as if that was all that he meant by it. And so when you read something that you don't understand in God's word, which I would say is probably quite often, do you take the time to ask questions of the text, to search cross-references, to ask other teachers, whether it be another book, commentary, or someone that you can call or text? Or do you distract yourself with something else? Are you quick to move on? Are you quick to forget about the questions? I think we do the same thing when we sit under the preaching of God's Word. Right, even myself, I have a hard time recalling what I preached about last week. Right, so it's, it's, it, I'm, not, I'm not pointing the finger here. I'm saying we all have a tendency to just move on too quickly from what the Lord is doing through his word. And so I would encourage you, pray, seek the scriptures, seek other teachers, books, and people to find the right direction, to, to have answers when the text of God uh, God's word confuses you. And it may be surprising to learn in this next verse, in verses 9 and 10, Jesus' purpose, the parable's purpose. In verse 9, he says, When his disciples asked him what his parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that, for this reason, the reason why they're in parables is so that those who See will not really see, and those who hear it will not really hear, right? They won't understand. That seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. They can certainly look over at the sower. They could, under, they could see what he's talking about, but they didn't know what he meant by it. And so when disciples asked the meaning of the parable, Jesus began by explaining why he speaks in parables. And some as I've said, I've mentioned that parables were so that everyone could understand, that even children could understand and grasp what Jesus was speaking about. But that's clearly not the case here. He's not trying to just tell a story so that everyone would be engaged, so that he could keep their attention longer. And in verse 10, to you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. So the secrets of the kingdom have been spoken plainly to those to whom the kingdom has been given. Notice the emphasis there is upon the giving of the kingdom, not the receiving of it. God is sovereign over who the kingdom is given to. And so for everyone else, the secrets are meant to be kept hidden from their understanding. Jesus is fulfilling here Isaiah's own mission. In Isaiah chapter 6, right after he's given this magnificent vision of the throne room of God, he receives this following commission, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. That was Isaiah's mission. 
he was called to go and to proclaim judgment upon the people. To speak the truth. And in fact, in chapter 28, I believe, of Isaiah, it talks about how he spoke so plainly that they made fun of him. They mocked Isaiah. Right? Who are you trying to teach? The babblers, the babies that are among us? And instead, he continued to proclaim God's word, precept upon precept, line upon line. He just simply proclaimed the truth of God's word to them, and they did not understand it. Instead, their minds were darkened. Their hearts were hardened. So Jesus here is taking up the same commission. In fact, this same passage, Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, is found six times in the New Testament. And each time it refers to the hardened hearts of the Jewish audience. G.K. Beale adds some helpful understanding as well. He says that, um, or he has shown that the language used in Isaiah 6, 9, in particular, the phrase listening, but do not comprehend, looking, but do not understand, it reflects the language used to describe the idols themselves in Psalm 135, verses 16 through 17, and Psalm 115, verses 5 and 6. The ironic point established by the use of these metaphors of sight and audio is that Israel has turned into the idols that they had worshipped. Right, so those whom the kingdom of God has not been given will hear the parable but they will not understand it because their idolatry has made them spiritually deaf and dumb. And that's actually the parable's purpose, directly stated by Christ. It's to keep the secret of God's redemption from those outside of the kingdom. So the fact that Jesus spoke in parables is itself a sign of judgment upon some of his heroes, not all of them. Some responded appropriately. Some engaged him and said, tell me more. Right? What do you mean by this? And he could speak plainly to them as he's about to do. But to those who were disinterested, to those who were worshiping idols, even as Jesus was speaking to them, this, this purpose is hidden from them. And so the parables were not to help weak-minded people understand something. Right? It was in order to rebuke some hearers. Jonathan Bloom writes, Like the prophets of old, Jesus used parables to reveal the mystery of the kingdom, to stimulate reflection on sin, to call people to repentance, and to produce the opposite among those hardened against him. So the parables, they do have twofold purpose, right? They, they can cause us to reflect upon our sin, to, to bring us to repentance, to reveal some, something mysterious about the kingdom of God. But they also produce the opposite among those who are hardened against him. So instead of his teaching producing greater faith for many, it only served to harden their hearts all the more. This was true of the apostles as well. When you look at the book of Acts, it's true of every Christian who walks in obedience to Christ and proclaims him today, proclaims the gospel. Right, 2 Corinthians 2, 15 through 16 says, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved, 
So we're a pleasant aroma. But then among those who are perishing, we are a fragrance from death to death. So to the one, a fragrance of life to life, to others, a fragrance of death to death. Who is sufficient for these things? And Paul is acknowledging this is not within his own power. That he can't, he can't make sure that people smell the right thing when he proclaims the truth. He didn't have that control. That was God's sovereign will and it was kept hidden. And so we faithfully plant the seed, we faithfully water it, but only God can produce the results. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 3. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And so finally, after describing his purpose, he then goes on to explain the parable in verses 11 through 15. So the parable warns all who hear, the apostles, this would have been a warning to them, to the disciples, to every minister who preaches the gospel truth. It's a warning that not everyone is going to respond with great joy and satisfaction at your preaching. There are many wrong ways to listen to the word of God. And, and so he describes that here. First of all, the path where, where the word of God is trampled underfoot and devoured by birds. Jesus specifically mentions here the role of Satan. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones, who, the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe. And be saved. We have an enemy. Every Sunday, there is a satanic presence. And I'm not saying I, I, I feel this, right? But I'm saying if there is one person who's not going to miss a Sunday, it's those who want to destroy the work of God in the lives of his people. It's Satan and his minions. There are spiritual forces at work doing their best to trample the word of God as soon as it is delivered to distract people from what they hear, from responding to the truth. And I think we do have an example of this in, in the very gospel of Luke here. Nazareth, the synagogue that rejected Jesus. As soon as he finished preaching the truth from Isaiah, right, they... They seek to stone him. There's another group here, the, the seed that falls upon rock, where, where it sprouts up quickly and is withered because there's no moisture. This describes those who have professed to believe and have even sprouted up with quick signs of faith, but it's all short-lived. Right? It's an emotional and a shallow faith that has no room to grow. So as soon as they face testing and persecution, they give up. This would be an example, or an example of this from Luke would be Simon the Pharisee. He might have initially invited Jesus into his home because he was genuinely interested in learning from him. But as soon as he's gathered around his Pharisaical friends and they see this woman come in and weeping over Jesus' feet, they're all uncomfortable. 
And so Jesus becomes less important. And their own reputation takes over. Once he felt the glares of his prejudiced friends, his faith, if he had any, quickly withered. And so this is why we believe the P in TULIP, that perseverance of the saints, is important. It's a critical component to our salvation. First John 2.19 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are all not of us. And so if your heart is, is rock hard, your only recourse is to cry out to God to do whatever it takes to break it up. And that might mean to bring pain and stress and trial and disappointment into your life to wake you up to the spiritual reality. There's another listener who's among the thorns, right? Whose faith is choked out by worldly pressures and temptations. So whereas the previous soil had to do with persecution, I think this is the seed that is, is killed by temptation to be like the world to have money, to have fame, to have health. And it's no less dangerous to be in a country where the faithful are persecuted than it is to live in a country of affluence and prosperity. Both dangers can destroy faith and prevent it from taking root. And an example from Luke would be what we saw in chapter 7, verse 31 where the people of this generation were so inwardly focused and distracted that they wouldn't engage in the kingdom that Christ was offering them. They were always searching and never satisfied. And their interest in the deeper things that Jesus is teaching are choked out by their worldly desires. And so this certainly remains true of our generation, right? Evangelicalism has done much to prop up the numbers of the church with temporary and repetitious conversions. And how many people have gone to camp and prayed a prayer or walked down the aisle to the front only to fall away as soon as another passion comes along? In fact, it, it was called mountaintop experiences for a reason. Because you'd go to the mountaintop, you'd experience some great closeness to God, and then you'd come back down from that into the valley of ordinary everyday life, and your faith would be choked out. So we conclude with this good soil in verse 15. That grew and yielded a hundredfold. Those are the ones who receive and respond to the word that is delivered with the fruits of repentance, belief, and obedience. It's the only proper way to hear God's word. And it should be something we think about every time we open it. The fruitfulness of the good soil could only be explained if that word were being multiplied. Right, if we're retelling what we're learning and hearing. And in fact, you'll see that that's Jesus' point in the very next section. Because what does he talk about? No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar. You don't take the truth that you're receiving and, and hide it. Right? You proclaim it. You share it to others. Put it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. That's why the fruit is multiplied. That's why there's a hundredfold because more people are being invited in to share in that response. And so I do think we're, suppo we're supposed to take the time to ask ourselves the question of which soil 
do we belong to? Not just once, but each time we come before God's word. In this good soil, we have several examples. We've seen them throughout the gospel. The examples of the Gentile centurion who believed in the power of Jesus to heal his servant. The example of Levi, the tax collector, who left his corrupt business to follow Christ. And the sinful woman who was forgiven and wept upon Jesus' feet. Any member, really, of the traveling cohort, the 12, and the women that were, were accompanying Jesus in his ministry, providing out of their own means, all of them had a testimony to share of how the word of God had, had taken root in their lives and caused them to bear much fruit. And so the world would look at these lives, every one of them that I've just mentioned, and they would say, what soil? That doesn't look like good soil. The sinful woman, the tax collector. Right? These people are not in positions prepared to receive. I don't see any good preparation in the lives of these outcasts. They've been rejected. They're full of sin in their lives. They bring absolutely nothing to the table. And isn't that the point? That they bring nothing, but Jesus provides everything. That all of the rich nutrients that the soil needs in order to provide healthy growth has to be supplied by the sower. Has to be supplied by our Lord. And so in God alone, or, or God alone can prepare the soil of man's heart to receive the seed of the word with faith and to yield the fruit of repentance and forgiveness. And so I want to close with just a reflection on the larger catechism, question 160. It's a helpful description of what is required of those that hear the word preached. What is required of us? The answer is this. It is required of those that hear the word preached that they attend upon it with diligence, preparation, and prayer to examine what they hear by the scriptures, to receive the truth with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind as the word of God, to meditate and confer on it, to hide it in their hearts and to bring forth the fruit of it in their lives. Now that's a lengthy answer. And if you were to do that every time you open God's word, you might be overwhelmed thinking this is gonna take you all day. And in fact, it kind of should. In one sense, right? You should be reflecting upon God's word throughout the day. It's, that's why we store it in our hearts, so that it, that it rises up to our minds and our conscience when we most need it. But there's a lot of things to reflect upon here, to be diligent in preparation and prayer, to examine what we hear by the scriptures. To receive the truth with faith, love, meekness, readiness of mind as the word of God. All of these things, right, to hide it in our hearts and then finally to bring forth the fruit of it in their lives. That's where Jesus concludes the fruit that the good soil produces. True faith always begins by a work of God in which faith and repentance are expressed and then continue to produce an abundance of fruit. So let us be mindful of that each time we open his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you.